Before, uh, not before, of course, it happened after the last time I've been on. I, I need, I just want to bring it up right away. We saw Slender. And I, 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 you beat me to it. I did beat you to it. You beat me to it. I, I wanted had it, to get this out of the way. <laughs> I had it queued up and ready to go. I literally, like, you probably just watched me erase the part on my phone where I was like, <laughs> talk about Slender backspace. So, yeah, what do you want to say about it? Um, there were there was like the first twenty minutes. I was like, "It's not good, but it can't get any worse." <laughs> and every minute, there were there were cuts from there were. I couldn't even call any anything we watched. I don't know like what you'd identify as a scene. Yes, because the cuts were dramatic and and nonsensical. Yes. yes. I didn't know what I was looking at, but before I could even kind of ascertain the truth, I, I whoa, what's this? Hello, what's that? <laughs> what am I looking at? <laughs> oh my goodness! How many about give or take? How many times did I turn over to you in the theater <laughs> and say, "All right, on to the next scene"? I think like five or six times. Like, <laughs> it was really scenes prominent. just end like they're in the middle of like dialogue, and it just switches to the next scene. It was more pro- that was more prominent. <laughs> In the latter half of the movie, yeah, too. yeah, it got worth, worse. Where you know loose ends needed to start getting tied, things <laughs> needed to start getting put back on the shelf or put away, and um, and instead the movie just ignored them completely. <laughs> you know, just ignored them. Um, I think what made it worse too was the the narration. Yes, at the end of the movie. Yes, I think it was throughout. I think there was narration. There were little, little bit. bits. Yeah. There were little bits. But to end the movie on some narration, spoiler alert, I mean, I won't divulge the content. No, you could absolutely get into it. Sure. No, I, that's the point of this. You know, this is episode This is episode 104. Welcome to your first... No, this is... You were on the episode 100 special, so that was your first triple digit. But this yeah. is your post-100. Yeah. This is your first episode post-100. Yeah. So, yeah. this is Tenron Otrin. He's here with me. Lots of pasta. Episode 104. I feel like I don't have to introduce you or introduce the show. If, if you've made it this far in the show, then you know what we're doing. So, you know, jumping right into it, we're talking about Slender, which we watched when it came out, I think, like a month ago. This is in August, beginning yeah, of Yeah, it was, um, you know what, you know what the funny thing, the circumstances about seeing it, um, it came out in theaters maybe two weeks before most of the calendars and posters even said it was coming mm. out. Like, they... I don't know if they if they wanted to use that as some sort of gimmick or they were just like, yeah, whatever, just put it out. Let's, <laughs> you know, you just get it let's out. Just of get the out of the way. Just get it out. Um, early rumors indicated, and I ignored it, of course. <laughs> early rumors indicated that they had been trying for weeks 
to option it to other studios to, to release it under different circumstances. Like they gave it to, I think Amazon, they gave it to Netflix. They gave it to a bunch of other platforms like shutter. They were, they were talking to shutter about it being like an original shutter film. Mm. And if shutter turns you down, you know, you got a problem on your hand. So they gave up Sony. Yeah. Sony literally gave up and said, let's just get it out there. And I feel like they released it early on purpose just to, to make its run all the much shorter. Um, and it got not only abysmal reviews, but abysmal amount of money, uh, made at the box office and it will go down in history as the room was better. The room was better. That's like, that's a, a, that's a fact as a film. That's a fact. The Room by Tommy Wiseau is a better movie than Slender. Let that sit in. Start to finish. Everything. Let that sit in. I'm not like, I'm the type of person who could look, you know, the first time I watched The Room, I was like, this really isn't that bad. It's the acting that's bad. It's the writing that's bad. The movie itself at least has a flow. It at least has a rhythm. It has a sense of begin and end. You know, it has a sense of continued plot. Slenderman doesn't have any of that. Slenderman just kind of starts... And just kind of ends. And everything in between is inconsequential. It's, you know, it's the worst kind of horror film. It was cringy. It was cringy. I, I cringed at it the was beginning cringy. in the high school. Yes. The weird you, interactions. I didn't think it was that bad, but then I slowly started to, like, <laughs> unveil, like, you know, like a, like a little Hershey kiss. I started to come out of my fucking aluminum and realize how fucked up the world is. So, like, I... I I thought the intro dialogue wasn't that bad. You were already cringing. We were watching it with um, two others, Harold Heavy Hands and Terry the Tickler were also with us, and they were just having a really great time laughing at it. <laughs> they kept doing this thing where like everything was a jump scare, so they started jumping before the jumps, <laughs> and everyone just started looking at them. They started like screaming, like they they would just like. I think it was Harold who was just like, oh, like before, <laughs> yeah. before things would happen. Yeah. Um, it was bad. So um, there, there were a couple things that we, <laughs> that we could talk about plot wise. I, you know, the only thing I want to say going forward is that part of me is thinking about purposefully not talking about it so much so that we could do a on track commentary while we watch the movie. Perfect. Because you know what? I don't even really remember too much about it. I remember everything because that's how bad it was. Yeah. You know, it's the it's the yeah. boring it's the boring, uninteresting movie making that just kind of like slides by me and I and I forget about it. But the you know, the terrible stuff, the stuff that I, I look at and say, How did the person with a budget make this? That's that stuff sticks in my head. From start to finish, it's just kind of pointless, you know, like um the acting is bad. Very, very clearly do you realize that, like, um, you know, the best actress in this film is Joey King uh, from from Would You Rather and The Conjuring. And she's kind of like a little kid uh, scream queen at this point. And mm. and even she is cringy. Like, she was the one you were cringing at in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, if she's your best actress in this movie, you already got a problem. And then... What started to hurt me the most was they took out all of the good scenes from the trailer because of all the controversy that happened 
in uh, Wisconsin. So everyone knows because it was episode 16 and then episode, I think, 21. No, episode 22. These are two Django episodes. They're some of the first episodes we've done. Um, 16 and 22. The Slender Man Spooktacular, we talk about it. And then in episode 22, which is Uncle Jerry's Family Fun Zone episode, we do a review of the HBO documentary Beware the Slender Man. And so everyone knows at this point that two little girls tried to kill a third girl by stabbing her some 20 times in the middle of the woods in Wisconsin. So Wisconsin outright flagged this movie. They said this movie is not allowed to, you know, come to this, you know, this town or this state. Like, I think even the state was just like, nope. So um, that happened. And then Sony itself started to say, uh, should we? Should we, though? And they took out, like, every death scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, almost yeah, every yeah. death scene in the movie was taken out. Yeah, and, right. you know, the only one that seemed to stick was the final one, because even Joey King's character just kind of gets pulled out of a window. You know, it's, yep. it's implied, you know, you don't see her bleeding, you just see her get removed mm-hmm. from the movie, which is kind of ironic, because the same thing happens to three or four other characters. <laughs> they just get removed. The boyfriend doesn't jump off the, the school and kill himself. The black girl doesn't shove a scalpel into her head. The, um... Yeah, she just disappears. So does the boyfriend. Yeah. In the trailer, the boyfriend jumps off the fucking roof of the school. Um, the girl, there's this girl they chat with throughout the entire movie trying to get answers online. They're trying to chat with someone who knows creepypasta. And she was supposed to be a major character before the studio interference. Um... This oh, is, I forgot about her. This is the type... Of, well, it's because the only footage we've ever seen was in the trailer for the fucking movie. Yeah. She makes up more than 50% of the trailer, and she's not in the theatrical cut of the fucking movie. So this is the type of thing where years, years will go by and everyone will forget about it, and then I think somewhere down the line the director is going to be like, you know what? I got all that footage. I'm gonna I'm gonna make the movie that I that I should have made. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna release the director's cut of Slender Man, and it's gonna be a completely different movie, and it might actually be good. So that's what I'm well, hoping. That's what I'm it hoping might be for. Salvageable. It might be salvageable. <laughs> I, I won't ever think it could ever be good if, if it turns out they do. There's a director's cut, and it's actually good. No, 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 no. That'd I'm be- gonna fight you on that. If if a horror film about little girls summoning a demon and the demon slowly kills them one by one, mm-hmm. removes all the death scenes of them getting killed one by one, that makes it a bad movie. Mm-hmm. If the director goes back and puts in the death scenes of each of these annoying little cunts getting fucking murdered, mm-hmm. that would make it a good horror movie. <laughs> Yeah, because they're that bad and that annoying. Yeah, that the only thing that would make the movie better is if you got to watch them all die. <laughs> oh man! So, is there is there anything else you wanted to say about it? Because I really do feel like we shouldn't embellish it too much. Because I actually do think like 
you and I would probably be able to watch it side by side down here and record an entire episode and just do commentary and do almost a riff tracks of an episode. That'd be perfect. Where I say, all right, people, uh, download your copy of Slenderman because I know none of you are going to buy it and (laughs) and open it up on your computer right now. Pause it when it gets to this logo and then play this track and then go back to the movie track and press play in three, two, one. All right, now we're in the movie and we're watching it. And this is Slender Man. Like, I just want to do like a commentary of Slender Man. Yeah, like, I feel I, like it might actually be one of the first things I sit down and write for this show because there are just so many good jokes like waiting to be had while watching that movie. Well, and I think with how many, again, going back to the cuts. Uh, you know, hard cuts, you know, <laughs> I even think dialogue was cut that could have, you know, made scenes sensible and, and yeah. intelligible, but lacking in dialogue. Well, if you think the about sky, it, sky, oh my God, so many shots of the clouds, so many shots of wildlife and trees and leaves, like time lapses. <laughs> you could take a bunch out, of time lapses. If you took out all of the time lapses <laughs> If you took out all of the little focus shots and the and the huge close-ups where people aren't even talking and we're just, you know, two inches away from their face, I think the movie would be a half hour long. Do they have aerial footage as well? In the trailer, not in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be a joke, too. Oh, when do we get to the part, you know, with the aerial shot? Yeah, no, that's not in the movie. That's in the trailer. You know, that's starting to become a thing, you know? Like, you know how people started to get pissed about video games being bad when they would pay for them, you know, six months ahead of time based on an idea and a trailer? Yeah. It's starting to happen in movies now where, and I remember this happening as as soon as, you know, six or seven years ago, where you go into a movie and the thing, you know, the line from the trailer is either altered or completely missing, and you're kind of just like, oh, okay, because it's just a little thing, you know? It's like a little specific. Yeah. It's not as egregious as the Slender Man trailer, which consisted of almost entirely cut scenes. Mm-hmm. Literally that entire, like, I would say all but 15 seconds of that trailer is cut scenes. Really, I'm not joking. I think someone did an analysis somewhere on YouTube about the cut scenes from the trailer. Like, if you leave in the only scenes that were actually in the movie, you get about 17 seconds of, of girls, like, looking at each other. So anyway, um, it's not like that, or it's not like Infinity War, where, um, you know, they, they end the trailer on a shot that features the entire cast running towards the camera with Hulk in the back. And then Hulk never makes an appearance in the movie, yeah. you know, it's yeah. except for in the beginning when he gets fucking smashed by Thinus. I got over that. Uh, that whole. Oh no, I, I got over it, but I think it's still, it's still like a calculated misleading that studios are doing now in order to sure. upset yeah. expectations. Yeah. Good or bad, I think it's just it as a it as a false tactic to upset expectations is still bullshit because there's there's money involved. You know, this is this is a a buying of goods. You know, a buying of entertainment. Our trust is at we're paying for experience we want. Yeah, you know, you know it, 
you can only that's do it so many times. Risk. Like Marvel, you know you're going to keep coming back because that's just a tactic to, you know, not show as much of the movie in the trailer to make it as fresh and great for everyone. That's, you know, that's why they uh, they try to control leaks as much as possible. They keep everything under wraps. Something like uh, Avengers Part 4 is supposed to have the script only on password protected iPads that get like their passwords changed like every day. Huh. No one, no one was watching Slenderman and said, you know, how about we make a trailer that actually has parts of the movie in it? <laughs> no, they said, oh, I remember all that footage we had to cut a year ago when those girls stabbed each other. Well, let's just use it all for the trailer <laughs> because it'll make the movie look good. Uh, I'm done talking about it. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> it's like November 2nd or something. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Hey, how was Labor Day? Just the other weekend, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good days. The spirit uh, just came out on Dead by Daylight. The uh, the newest killer. Oh my god. Uh, do you you have her? No, but I, I, I told myself if I had some free time tonight, I was going to buy her. Let's let's keep going. Dead, yeah, the spirit came out on Dead by Daylight. That's oh fuck me. Animal Crossing for all you eight year olds, all you furries out there, including yeah. myself. <laughs> hey, I like Animal Crossing. It's it's. <sighs> you said furries, and I thought frowns was coming back already. Aw, we miss you, bud. No, we don't. You remember? <laughs> you, you remember uh, when he told us that he was a furry? <laughs> and we all judged him. Well, I don't remember that. I don't remember judging him. My judgment is purely <laughs> objective. I'm gonna keep this in. I'm gonna keep. <laughs> I like that too. Uh, I'm gonna keep this in the episode because Frowns doesn't actually listen to the show, so he doesn't. He doesn't know what we say about him. He's gone, man. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's he dead. Is not yeah, here. he's dead. Yeah, he died. <laughs> He's, That's a joke. Know. Frowns will come back at some point. Who knows? It'll be... I don't. <laughs> we don't know anything. Anyway, we really... We gotta get into the story. Yeah. We have to. This is the start of something crazy. I have had this story for less than a month. Two months. I saw it everywhere. I saw it all over YouTube. I saw it all over No Sleep. Uh, I knew it was going to be a big thing that I was going to eventually have to read. And the first hundred episodes of this show are kind of just a mix of classics and randoms. Whereas now I kind of, you know, now it's, we're in the triple digits. It's, I think of it more as wine tasting now. We're moving on from big project to big project. We started Baraska. That's probably going to end soon or finish soon. And now, today, we're going to start the left-right game. The left-right game, I would like to think, is one of the most popular stories on No Sleep to date. I think it reinvented a lot of people's expectations for the subreddit. I think even people who aren't on No Sleep would read something like this and find it interesting. Because from, from all that I know, it's not even quite horror. And I actually would go as far as to say that Pen Pals is also not really horror when you think about it. It's kind of just 
a well-written drama. And good drama always has good twists, good dialogue, good writing. If you really think about it, like, Gone Girl is not a horror film. It's David Fincher who shot it like it should be one, and it's the subject matter that you could kind of turn into horror elements, but in its essence, Gone Girl is just a drama, like a thriller, you know? It's just a little bit of suspense here and there. Never quite given an answer. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. It, there are who's, just elements. Who are the actors? Ben Affleck and Rosamund, yes. Rosamund Pike. Okay. Yeah, I didn't watch the whole movie, but... Oh man, it just gets better and better. I just wanted to say that, because I feel like my... And and I might be wrong. This This story might be the most terrifying thing I've ever read. I don't know. My initial response, however, is that it's not going to be horrifying. It's going to be psychologically thrilling. And it's going to make you question things, which is the best kind of horror. You know, the best kind of thrilling. I think if it makes you think, then it's good material. If it's something you're going to think about days after reading it, then it's good material. I still think about Whistler sometimes. I even just brought it up the other weekend when you were here. I just think it does so much of the right thing that I, I kind of see no wrong. Uncle Jerry's Family Fun Zone is another one I like to talk about. I just... Mm. I, the, it's so well put together and, you know, interesting to read that you kind of just... You get into it. You believe it. And I, I want Left Right Game to kind of do that. I want it to ride the line of ridiculous but real to the point that you kind of think it might have... It might have been inspired by a real-life experience, or um, parts of it might even be true. You know, that kind of thing. Like, I wanted to ride that line of being believable. Mm -hmm. Pen Pal does that above all else. Pen Pal is just a raw experience, and it just it leaves you shaken. I think that's episode 80. Pen Pal. That's with frowns. That's with frowns. He lives on in one of the best episodes of this show. He's doing... Sorry. <laughs> he was doing well. <laughs> we do have to bow our head in reverence. Uh, he drowned in maple, <laughs> maple syrup. <laughs> I just love that the last thing we read with him at this point was Ben drowned. So he kind of... It's like he killed himself after reading it. Uh, what if we read left, right? And throughout the text, we all of a sudden see Help just me. it's just frowns <laughs> making himself known, establishing a presence in the text. <laughs> Wait a minute, this sounds like frowns. It couldn't be. So we delete it, we like we delete the file, and we come back tomorrow and <laughs> we see that, huh. Oh, we thought we deleted this file, and it's been renamed. Huh. <laughs> There's a picture attached. Open the file. It's frowns! <laughs> I like that you just kind of retold Ben Drowned in, like, two minutes. So, um, anyway. Uh, we're gonna start, we're gonna start left-right game now. What are your expectations? I don't know. That's My good. expectations <laughs> are that 
I'm going to be invested before, you know, within within. No, this is a this is a, a beefy little book we're reading. Yeah, this is going to be several parts. So I, I hope within the ten pages, I'm like, okay, chills, goosebumps, <laughs> chills, goosebumps. five star material, uh, <laughs> excitement. I'm, I'm I want to get excited. I I am excited. So it's all about perception too. I'm heading into this with a positive one. So, so I, you don't know much about this. I don't know much about this. I know it at one point devolves into dialogue, actual dialogue. So, I guess what I'm asking is, I'll take female, if if you want. It works. Higher register. I won't. I won't go for like a sad falsetto. Attempt. I have, I have a just, high register too. Uh, it'll just be something like this. <laughs> Please don't. Just read it regular. Oh. Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my skirt fell off. I'm a meek, meek woman. Oh, uh, hi. <laughs> oh, Bill. I'm like, oh, Bill. That was your voice oh, of Ruth. In, oh, Bill. <laughs> that was your voice of Ruth in Whistlers. Uh, oh, shit. Did um, you play Harvest Moon? I have. You remember the, like any fucking librarian? That's my voice. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> My hands are crossed with a book. It explains why I hate it so much. <laughs> you never romance them because they're boring. They ain't thick. You have a good point. I like them. They're cute. They're cute. Anyway. Harvest Moon, the story. I love Harvest Let's write a Harvest Moon miniseries. That- I, w- I would literally rather cut my fucking <laughs> arm off. <laughs> oh. Okay. Sorry. Left. The left. The left. Right. Oh, game. this is a disgusting political piece, isn't it? <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> Do you want to start? Sure. I was going to let you start. I, I think somebody, the person who's on the left, you know, with respect to our positioning should start because it's the left-right game. But I'm on the left. Yeah, you should start then. Okay. I Maybe we change it up. But I feel like, see, now, here's where <laughs> what I know about the story, the people in the story would probably want me to start. Okay, then I will start. I don't want the people so, in the story to... We're already fucking with the fate of this story. Oh, all right, okay. all right, you could start. Oh, okay. <laughs> A few points before we start. All right. Okay. Firstly, I am not the protagonist of this story. I just went to university with her, and though she went on to become a professional writer, I most certainly did not. She'll be taking over from me further down, but until then, please forgive my slightly awkward delivery while I give you guys the necessary context. I feel like this is already like, (laughs) this is not the greatest song in the world, no. This is just a tribute. I'm not the protagonist of this fucking story. This is a tribute. This is a fucking cover band. (laughs) Secondly, I don't know what you will make of the following events, and I'm sure many of you might consider it a... You might consider it all some sort of hoax. I was not present for any of what transpired in Phoenix, Arizona, but I can vouch for the person who wrote the following logs. She is not and has never been a fanaticist. 
Fantasist? 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 Fantasist. I say fanaticist. I, I thought it was We'll like ignore fanatic. it. F- fantasist. Um, I think... She doesn't like Fantasota. <laughs> She's not someone obsessed with Coca-Cola products. She doesn't fantasize. So, I th- yeah, she doesn't... She doesn't fantasize anything. Maybe she's... Well, wait a minute. If she went on to become a writer, she surely must have been an imaginative <laughs> fellow. <laughs> yeah. one, one might even say a fantasist. One would even say a fanciful fantasist. <laughs> so I once knew a girl named Alice Sharma. She was an undergrad at Edinburgh Uni. Edinburgh? Maybe I should do an accent. The same time I was. <laughs> no. My educational poison was history. A degree which has greatly benefited my career as a bicycle repairman. For voices, however, do whatever the fuck you want. You got it. Alice Sharma studied journalism, though perhaps studied isn't the word. It's not an exaggeration to say that she lived and breathed the subject. Editor-in-chief of the campus paper, recognizable voice of student radio. She was frustratingly tunnel-visioned, and she was a journalist in her own right before anyone gave her a professional shot. We met in student halls and became friends almost immediately. A meandering waster trying to stay off his parents' farm, and an intrepid, ambitious reporter may not seem the most obvious pairing, but I learned not to question it. She was inspiring and smart, and she proofread all my essays. I'm not too sure what she saw in me. We were eventually flatmates down in London where she chased her dream and I chased my tail. She got a few jobs here and there, but nothing befitting of her skills. After months of fruitless internships and rejections, Alice called a flat meeting, telling us that she was moving to America, accepting a position chasing stories for a national public radio. The job had come out of the blue, the result of a Hail Mary application she thought had been dismissed out of, out of hand. We threw her a bittersweet going-away party and put the room up for rent. That party was the last time I saw Alice Sharma. She dropped out of contact a few months after her departure. Complete radio silence. I assumed she was just busy, so I carried on with my small but happy life and waited for her to pop up on television with some important words below her name. Chief correspondent, senior analyst, something like that. The radio silence was broken last week, and for reasons you'll glean further down, I'm less happy about it than I would have thought. Arriving home from work, I found a lone email in my otherwise bare inbox. An email that would later be described as suspicious by my tech-literate friends. Despite being born in the early 1990s, I didn't own a computer until university, and I've missed several important lessons in the world of cyberspace. Lessons like, don't call it cyberspace, of course, and more importantly, don't open emails with no text, no subject, and no sender's address. I realize most of you would have deleted this anonymous blank email immediately. My friends certainly would have, but beyond my basic ignorance about online safety, something further compelled me to open it. The only thing of substance in the entire message was a zipped folder labeled left.write.as. I don't have to explain what I was hoping those final initials stood for. Opening the zipped folder, I found myself staring at a stack of text files, each one titled with a date continuing sequentially from the very earliest file 0702 
2017. To any Americans in the room, this is the 7th of February. Thanks, actually. Thanks, you fucking Brit. I've since read the files a few times and shown them to some friends. They don't know what to make of it either, but they certainly aren't as concerned as me. They think Alice is just in a creative writing phase, and if I didn't know her, I'd have, a, I'd, I'd have to agree. But the thing is, I do know her. Alice Sharma only cares about the truth. And if that's the case with these files, insane as it may sound, then it's very possible my friend has documented her own disappearance. How fucking nuts is that? That's weird. Like kind of saying where she en- where she's going to end up, but can't but can't tell us about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I know more of the story than Tenron does, and I kind of know where it's heading. And uh, outright, I want to say I'm already intrigued. I'm already at that point you were talking about. Like, I, I already know that the way this guy talks, the way whoever wrote this just writes, like, I'm interested because... That's enticing. Mm-hmm. He, he set this up without spelling it out for us. You know, like he set this up as a pretty easy slice of life bullshit and none of it was spelled wrong and none of it was like looked wrong. It's just a Brit mm-hmm. writing some crazy stuff. Yeah. I'm fucking there's pumped. There's an appropriate amount of context offered and I like the, you know the whole moving away, the distance between them, physical distance, that I'm interested. The people who suggested this forum said you discuss strange occurrences, etc. If you guys have come across anything to do with the below, or know of any people involved, then please send any information my way. Has anyone here heard of the left-right game? The left-right game, draft one, February 2nd, 2017. They say great stories happen to those who can tell them. Robert J. Guthard is an exception to that rule. As I sit at his table, sip his coffee, and listen to him recount the past 65 years, it sounds like he's reading off a shopping list. Every event, his first job, his second wedding, his third divorce, None of them receive more than one or two sentences. Rob plows through the years, the curt, dispassionate curator of his own personal history. I'm reading Rob. Okay. <laughs> I'm just setting that down. He's a sixty. He's a sixty-five year old. Hey guys, want to let you know he's reading Rob. Captain Death is reading Rob because I want to read an old man for once. He's reading Rob. I just want to remind you guys. Yet Did the, you want to read Rob? Yet the story itself is so fast. He's guys. He's reading Rob. Don't, don't interrupt me again. You. <laughs> I'm reading Rob. <laughs> Just so you know. I thought you ought to know. <laughs> Thank you. I'm. This is Tenron. I'm not reading Rob. You're gonna read Alice. You're gonna read the main. You're gonna read the main fucking character. I'm kidding. I'm giving you a hard time because you interrupted my reading. <laughs> I was like in a flow. I felt I'm sorry. It's all right. It's all right. Okay. Rob plows through the years, the curt, dispassionate curator of his own personal history. Yet the story itself is so fascinating, so rich with moments, and so wildly meandering that it somehow stands on its own merits. 
It's a great story, no matter how to tell it. By the time Rob was 21, he had gotten married, had a son, worked as a farmer, a mover, a boat engineer, and grown estranged from his spouse. Here's him talking about that. Of course, my wife started to get dissatisfied. I was away a while. For work? Vietnam. You were in Vietnam? How was that for you? I ain't never been back since. That was everything he had to say concerning his first divorce and the entire Vietnam War. (laughs) Rob had four marriages after that, and even more professions. After the war, he worked with a firm of private detectives, got shot at once by the mob, and then he became a courier, which is how a poor boy from Alabama got to see the world. I'm sorry, this is not intentional. Well, kind of, it's unintentional, but it's interesting the parallels between the context of this character and then the original narrator. Yes, when you think about it, Alice is the type of person who would come across someone like Rob and want to almost mm-hmm. tell his story and and how the narrator, the initial person who is posting this is literally the opposite of Rob. Yeah. S- stayed in one place and kind of settled down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually kind of um, curious about their initial circumstances being the same, I guess, because she's describing Rob as his poor boy from Alabama. You know, That's good probably point. more rural, I'm guessing. So then the narrator is a farm boy, you know. So the, the beginning was very, very... I thought that was interesting, that, that but, but then the opposites, I didn't even think about that. I'm actually, that adds more layers. There's, yeah, no, 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 I absolutely... I think, you know, this is the type of story where you are going to be analyzing all of the layers of its, of its story time. I think... Again, there's so much more that I know about this story than you do, and I just feel like it's going to work on so many different fucking levels. I'm, to the point where we're going to have to actually talk about it, like, okay. uh, from a from plot's perspective. Okay. Because I'm... I, maybe I'm, I'm seeming a little bit... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking Tenuous all the details... Tenuous Yeah, I'm thinking all the details are important. Am I wrong to assume that? No, and I'm saying you're, yeah. you're not. Okay. You're not. Cool. Okay, so. I've been to most of the continents with that job. I've been to India. You from India? My mom and dad are from India, yeah. See, I could tell. He'd been arrested once in Singapore after one of his packages had been found to be full of white powder. He spent three days locked up before someone got around to checking the substance. It was chalk. A friend he made during his brief custody, Hiroji Sato, invited Rob to stay with him in Japan. Just getting over the breakup of his third marriage, Rob took the offer. He stayed in Japan for another five years. The Japanese are good people. Good manners. But they got all these urban legends and ghost stories that Hiroji was crazy for. Spent all his free time chasing them down. Like, you heard of Joragumo? I don't think so. Well... She's this spider lady that lives in the Joro Falls round Izu, meant to be real pretty, but real dangerous. Roji took us out there to get a picture of her. Did you ever meet Joro Gumo? Nah, she didn't show. None of them did. I didn't believe at all until we went to 
Alcagara. Alcagara, affectionately titled the Suicide Forest, the next stop on Rob's adventure. It's an area of woodland at the base of Mount Fuji, a notorious hotspot for young people looking to take their own lives. Hiroji, Rob's ghost-obsessed jailmate, turned best friend, took him to our, uh, our I want to say it's Okigara. Okigara. I should know because of the whole stupid Logan Paul thing, right? Yeah, thing. right. <laughs> I was also going to say the terrible, uh, the terrible film based off of it, The Forest. It's not great. Marjorie well, Tyrell's o- pretty Okigara hot. sounds right. Okigara sounds right, yeah. So Rob's ghost-obsessed jailmate turned best friend. Okay, Hiroji. Hiroji. Yes, this is Hiroji we're talking about. Ah, he's obsessed with ghosts, okay. <laughs> Took Rob to Akagara to chase Yurai, the ghosts of the forest. Did you find anything in Okagara? Well, I ain't gonna ask you to believe me. But I was a... P.I. Ah, those are letters. But I was a P.I. I was a pie. Three I was a pie. <laughs> I was, yeah, was going to say apples, not raspberries. But I was a pie. I said it. I actually said it. But I was a P.I. You said I was a pie. I'm sorry, I'm like reading ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Professional cynic. Even I can't deny there was a spirit in those woods. From that moment on, Rob's sentences start getting longer. A childlike excitement creeps into his voice. I get the distinct feeling we're moving beyond background, beyond Rob Guthard's old life, and towards his new one. The one he wants to talk about. The one that led him to contact the show. It's almost like our show. Oh, it's But she did say radio, right? Okay, yeah. The narrator did. It walked up to me through the trees. Looked like static you see on a TV screen, but it had a... Human shape, almost. Almost? It was missing an arm. It reached out to me, but I bolted out of the forest so fast. Hiroji never saw it. Holds it against me to this day. Hiroji had a good reason to be annoyed. Rob says that Mr. Sato had been going to the forest two to three times per year for three decades to have a rookie come along and claim to have seen a Uri on his first trip I'd be more than a little cranky but Rob didn't stay a rookie for long in fact it was in those woods that he discovered his current passion the supernatural or more accurately the documentation and investigation of urban legends legends like Bloody Mary Jersey Devil Sasquatch Rob has looked into them all Oh man, so that's not that's not only great, but it's even funnier because the 50th episode that we canceled was a roundtable discussion about urban legends. The episodes were unintelligible; you couldn't tell who was talking at what time, oh. and, and none of the none of us were able to make. I ended up discarding it. I got rid of it. I, I couldn't salvage it. It was me, Disco D. Harold Heavy Hands, bunch of baby ducks, Skelly Bones, Terry the Tickler. Um, you know, we all just round table talking about, you know, Loch Ness Monster, Jersey Devil, mm-hmm. Bigfoot. It just, it, it devolved into madness. So I had to, I had to dispel it from this house. It's the lost episode. It is the lost episode. And, and rest you know, in peace, for, frowns. For a good episode. Yeah, frowns. No, he wasn't there. 
Anyway. Well, he's the lost. He's the lost he's the guest. Lost. Oh, the lost guest on the lost episode. Is this lost? Lost by Damon Lindelof. I figured if one was true, then who knows how many others could be. How many have you proven so far? Since Okagara? Ain't none of them had any proof to them, except for one. That's why I called you guys up. At this point, Rob can't hope to repress his smile. The left-right game appeared on a paranormal message board in June of 2016. Only a few people frequently visited the forum, and of those regulars, only Rob took an interest in the post. The whole thing had a level of detail you don't see in other stories. What details grabbed your interest? Logs. High-quality pictures. The guy documented everything, said he wasn't going to play the game anymore. I think he wanted somebody to keep investigating. And you were that somebody? That's right. I set about trying to verify his information right away. And how did it go? Well, it didn't take long to realize the left-right game is the real thing. The rules of the left-right game are simple. Get in your car and take a drive. Take a left, then the next possible road on the right. Then the next possible left. Repeat the process ad infinitum until you wind up somewhere new. The rules are easy to understand, but Rob says they're not so easy to follow. Well, before we go on... Yeah. How do you define your destination? That's exactly the point. Okay. That's exactly the point. The idea that I pitched to Tenron before starting the episode was, imagine taking a left, then a right, then a left, then a right for your entire... Possible. You know, possible direction. You know, um, I'm talking dirt trails. I'm talking graveled paths. I'm talking streets. I'm talking country roads, highway miles, anything, you know? It it will literally take you somewhere you've never been. And and that that is nuts to think about, one, but also... A supernatural twist on that. Imagine it takes you somewhere humanly impossible. Imagine it takes you somewhere where no one else has been. There are so many ways it can go. There are so many fucking ways it can go. And I just, above all, I want it to go cosmic. I want it to go dimensionally. I want it to go... I want it to get weird. I want to get weird with it. But, okay, that sounds interesting, what you want. But I'm interested in uh, the rules a little bit more. I know I know it's it's saying it's simple, but it says take a left, then the next possible road on the right. And then re- I'm assuming it's crossroads. Repeat. So it's roads. Think of everything as crossroads or forks. Okay. If you yeah. have the chance to go right, go right. If you have the chance to go left, go left. You just gotta really fucking pay attention. To yeah, but correctly. like, what if what if there's a true dead end on a road? Like, uh, the idea of the game is that there won't be ever. Really? Okay. But yes. Okay. 
If you play the game correctly, you will not end up in a dead end. Okay. Just, just run with it. Okay. (laughs) You think the technical possibility of running into dead ends are are much more likely? Thinking of just like basic geometry, I'm I'm thinking like it's easier. I think you're thinking. See, your geometrically isn't. I don't think the right way to think about it. I think to think of it laterally. How actual travel transportation works. The story is arguing. There will always be something. There will always be another option to take you out somewhere else. It is saying, you know, we we haven't gotten there yet, but I know the segment. I can think of it. Someone says to take the left, and then the guy says, you're going to miss it. And the girl goes, what do you mean? And he's like, this kind of road, too. And they go down, like, alleyway in the middle of a fucking city. You know, like... There, you know, whether or not it was man-made, whether or not it was paved, whether or not it was something, gotcha. you know, you can't, the way, the way human transportation has worked is not to, like, lock you into any kind of okay. development. I just think that, and more importantly, what I was trying to, like, kind of, like, get at the first, the first time around was... This this story is about taking you somewhere. Okay. And I mean somewhere... They say new, quote-unquote new. I'm saying specific. Okay. It's still... I, I understand it still doesn't answer your question, not fully. It, it kind of ignores it. But I think that's the logic of the story. Yeah. It, I'm thinking in terms of mathematics and shapes and, and yes and true and I'm thinking shape, but and I'm thinking in the way that people actually constructed roads to work I yeah. think I think there will always be an alleyway I'm really liking this story already because of the the philosophical undertone and, yeah. and, and what is a road and how long yes. can a man stay on it so you fucking excuse captain captain <laughs> excuse me I fucking love this right now. Yeah. I fucking love this. Story. No, it's it's We're not what two fucking fucking pages through it yet? Three pages? <laughs> Eight pages. Okay, well, we're within ten. We're within we're, with, ten. we're within ten and we've been talking about roundabouts and loops. And um <laughs> Oh my god. I'm ready to continue. If you are. <laughs> you um, re- I, I understand that it says repeat the process ad infinitum until you wind up somewhere. Quote unquote new, yeah. but what I'm saying is, it is definitely a place, and it is definitely something people are trying to attain, and I think I think that's why you can disregard any kind of argument about how our roads work as humans and how geometry works as like infrastructure for how roads work. Yeah. You know, how people go about planning roads. They say, well, I want to start at A and get to B. Well, Adolf Hitler <laughs> created the highway system for the Blitzkrieg. So it's it's interesting that, you know, we're always figuring out ways to get somewhere faster. And I think this this story implies that we're going to be literally going down every type of avenue of okay. human transportation. Like, okay, yeah. You know? Yeah. There ain't all that many roads where you can turn left and right and left and right and keep going. Most of the time you find yourself at a dead end 
or needing to turn in the wrong direction. Phoenix is built on a grid system, so you can keep going left and right as long as you need to. Did you move to Phoenix for the left-right game? That's right. I try not to seem incredulous. Selling your house in another state, packing up, and moving your whole life to Phoenix, Arizona just to play a game you saw on the internet? It seems like insanity. Rob smiles as he reads my expression. I can clearly read his expression, too. You'll see, it says, just wait. I wouldn't have to wait long. Included within the nine-page submission Rob sent our show was a long list of suggested items the chosen reporter should bring with them. Clothes for three days. A pocket knife. Matches. Bandages. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) There are also a set of basic qualifications the reporter should have. The ability to drive, basic vehicle maintenance, and its human equivalent, first aid training. He didn't just want to talk about the left-right game. He wanted to take one of us along. Rob leaves a short while later to embark on a few errands, prepping the run, as he calls it. He shows me the guest room, and we part ways, on good terms, but very much aware of the other's poorly veiled opinions. He knew I saw him as a charming obsessive chasing a fairy tale. He saw me as a naive cynic, on the cusp of a new world. All I could think as I heard the front door close is that by tomorrow afternoon, one of us would be right. More after this. When I wake up the next morning, Rob is in my room, holding a tray, which he knocked on the bottom of to rouse me up. I don't manage to record the start of our conversation. I got bananas, strawberries, chocolate syrup. We got some more downstairs, but I wanted you to wake up to something good. We won't be eating this stuff on the road. Rob has made me waffles. He sets them down on the nightstand and talks through the coming day as I eat. I'll admit it feels a little uncomfortable waking up in a stranger's home to find said stranger already standing over me, but I quickly move past it. I tell myself that he's an older man, accustomed to living alone in his own house, not usually having to think about boundaries. Anyway, he certainly knows his way around a waffle iron. We hit the road at nine. I wanted to give you time to get ready before everyone shows up. There are other people coming. We got a five-car convoy on the road today. We'll be here in an hour. What? Fucking five cars? This is amazing. Yeah, man. This is amazing. We're going to have a lot of characters. This is the first I've heard of a convoy, and to be honest, I'm surprised. The game is Rob's obsession, and I'm here at his request. The idea that anyone else would have an interest in today's drive is a little perplexing. Half an hour later, sated, showered, and dressed in the functional clothing Rob had so painstakingly outlined, I take my pack out to the porch. Rob's already there, waiting for his associates to show up. I thought you'd be conducting a few more errands. If you ain't prepared by the morning of, you ain't prepared. Huh. Okay, I guess that's fair. Oh, Rob, is the garage locked? The inside door won't budge, and I wanted to mic up the car. Yeah, it's locked up. I'll open it for you. Thank you. In fact, it's about time I wheeled her out. Fair warning, Miss Sharma. She's a thing of beauty. To Rob Guthard, beauty took the form of a dark green Jeep Wrangler. Rob climbs in and lets it roll out of the garage, 
where it dominates every inch of driveway. The car is large, four doors with a roof enclosing the entire compartment. It's also been modified extensively. Yet another example of Rob's dedication to the game. What are you thinking? I think you're too caterpillar tread short of driving a tank. <laughs> yeah, I got her fixed up good. I put the winch in. Heavy-duty tires. The light rig on top is LEDs. They'll make midnight look like noon, but they don't use hardly any power. Aren't Jeeps open top usually? Not all. This is the unlimited. I like to have a covered car when I head on the road. I climbed in and stole my pack. Robert removed the back seats to afford more storage space. The place is packed to the brim. Jerry cans of gasoline, barrels of water, rope, snacks, and his own neatly packed set of clothes. I wonder if the rest of our convoy would take the game so seriously. We got Apollo coming up in ten minutes. No one else has given me a time. I sent the schedule weeks ago. This always happens. His name's Apollo? That's his call sign. Apollo Creed, I think he said. Why are you using call signs? Did I not tell you? Oh, yeah. We're going to use call signs on the road. Keeps communication clear. What's your call sign? Ferryman. Ew, he's like Chiron. <gasps> Ferryman of the Damned. What's my call sign? I thought about it. I was thinking London. You're from London, right? I'm from Bristol. Bristol? That's fine, I guess. It's less than ten minutes before Apollo turns the corner. Rob jumps out of his jumps out of his chair and paces briskly over to the edge of his property, as his first guest pulls up and steps onto the sidewalk. Apollo vaguely resembles his namesake. Dark skinned, tall, and noticeably well built. Though it's clear he couldn't be less of a fighter. This Apollo Creed is all smiles and seems to have a penchant for laughing at his own jokes. How far have you come? I've come out of Chicago. Took three days hard driving. And you know Rob from the forums? Everybody knows Rob. Rob's the god. <laughs> Rob walks over to Apollo's car, gesturing him over to talk shop. Rob's clearly impressed with Apollo's choice of vehicle. A blue Range Rover packed the ceiling with a kit. I was more impressed with Rob himself. Somehow, this 65-year-old farmer's son had become respected in a vast online community. My dad is Rob's age, and he's just discovered copy and paste. The rest don't take long to arrive. Two Minnesotan librarians, also around Rob's age, pull up in a great Ford Focus. They're brother, they're brother and sister, and they've shared ghost hunting as a hobby their entire lives. I find it hard to suppress a smile when they meekly introduce themselves as Bonnie and Clyde. We would have gotten here sooner. We had to drop by to get some blankets. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you, ma'am. Pleasure to meet you, too. Would you be the journalist? That's right. You used to write for the town paper, didn't you? He's talking to his sister there. She nods. Clyde is clearly the spokesperson of the pair, yet they both seem incredibly shy. Whether they admire the famous outlaws or just the name, it's pretty clear they couldn't be more different from the real thing. Next to show up are Lilith and Eve. English lit students at New York University and proprietors of the YouTube channel Paranormicon. Unlike Bonnie and Clyde, <laughs> unlike Bonnie and Clyde, Lilith and Eve 
have no issue holding a conversation. As soon as they learn who I am and what I do for a living, they attempt to conscript me for an expedition to Roswell. We have a friend there. He's been seeing some... He's a seismologist. Yeah, and he's been recording readings over the years that show subterranean movement, predictable movement. We're going to see him in July, but we could work it around you if you're free. I'll have to check my schedule. Okay, cool. Let me give you my email. They quickly hurry off to film an intro for their latest video, featuring a quick interview with Rob, who seems pretty welcoming to the attention. The last two cars arrive within seconds of each other. A, a lithe, strong-willed older lady who goes by Blue Jay, and a younger man going by the call sign Ace. <laughs> I know which one you want to read. <laughs> I, I, I think of Ace from Dead Ace. by Daylight. Dead by Daylight. Oh Ace. fuck Ace! <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking Ace from uh, Gang Green Gang from Powerpuff Girls. Oh, okay, Powerpuff Girls. Hey, I'm Ace. <laughs> Blue Jay has arrived in a gray Ford Explorer. Ace, much to Rob's annoyance, has arrived in a Porsche. Did you think that's gonna help on the road? I didn't write that. It's my car! What am I meant to do? It's my car! You didn't read my itinerary. You got nothing packed in there. I did read it, sir, okay? Calm down, I have a bag. I won't ask you for anything. Well, I know that's true. Ace and Rob were off to a bad start. Ace takes a phone call, and despite my best efforts to get an interview with Blue Jay, she doesn't seem interested in talking to a journalist. With five cars and seven travelers waiting for a green light, Rob hands out radios and charging packs, then launches into a quick safety briefing. Wear seatbelts, stay in position, communicate clearly and often. It's at this moment I start to feel a little dismay. I like Rob, and clearly so does everyone else. He'd convinced all of them to drive across the country to join in with his game. I start to, to worry what will happen in the likely event that the whole thing isn't real. Would Rob lose the respect of his peers? Would he accept failure when it comes? After seeing the effort he's put into these runs, the next few hours have the potential to be wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> that goes without saying. Have you ever actually been on a, an active like, multi-day road trip with anyone before? Oh, several, several times. And I'm not just talking I don't just mean your family. Like, I mean, like, um, like people you would call friends. Yeah, fam- uh, <laughs> or, or friend. Even, or his, even friend of a friend. Friend in his family to, like, Ohio. Hmm. Um, that's not multi-day. It's still fam- familial. That's not, that's not multi-day. My, my point I'm going to say is... With strangers, no. When you... No, not, not just with strangers. When, when you are stuck in a car for multiple days with the same people... You kind of just start to pick at the other person, just slowly but surely. I would say both mentally and physically. You just start to prod. It's not hard for tensions to grow, for uh, things to come out. I'm just saying it's very intimate. Yeah. And I think with the exercise we're about to get into, I think... What are you asking me to do? I'm scared. (laughs) Help! (laughs) With a smile and a few encouraging words, Rob ends his briefing and beckons me over to the Wrangler. I clamor inside and make myself as comfortable as possible. You ready for this, Bristol? I'm ready. Okay, then. Let's hit the road. 
The Wrangler pulls out of the driveway, and the convoy follows in order of arrival. Apollo? Oh, this is not fun. Sorry. Like a, a ringing in my ear, but it's not ringing. It's like, um... It is, sorry, it is ringing, but it's like coming in bursts. It's like ringing, fade, ringing, fade. Do you, need, do you need like stand up? Do you need to? Oh no, it's weird. It's, it sounded like I was fucking getting contacted by aliens just then. Somebody's trying to make contact from another dimension. I, I did like the way you looked at me when my house kind of ticked just now. Yeah, you mean like five minutes ago ticked? Yeah, we didn't talk about it. No. <laughs> I didn't talk about it. I just was like, that's air. Sure, this. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. Did I? I didn't get to tell you. I uh, I asked a simple favor of Harold. He's he's probably gonna listen to this. Um, I asked a simple favor of Harold Heavy Hands. I asked him to come over last night because I was at my girlfriend's house, uh, Thotamus Prime, and um, he said no. And he said no. He said, "Without you there, I will not." I got that tucking. <laughs> I think he meant fucking. <laughs> but I'm gonna read it anyway. I got that tuckin' primal defense impending danger feeling just standing outside your pitch black godless mansion. Godless. I asked him to come over. He asks what... I ask him to come to my house when I'm not here in the middle of the night and put food in my fridge so it doesn't go bad. He says, ah, oh, fuck, your house spooky as hell. Then he says, I have to think about this tactically. He'd have to bring something with him. Call me a pussy all you want, but there's something abnormal about that house. I don't know if Grandma trusts me. <laughs> <laughs> I step foot in, she might smite me down. Dark, rainy, haunted-ass house fucking figured. <laughs> figured out. Oh, good stuff, man. He was too afraid to come in here. I think that's funny. I'll ask him about it next time he's on the show. Does he like have any experiences here? I'm sure. I'm sure everyone who stayed here overnight does. I really, I really do. We'll do a we'll do a captain's house special where everyone steps forward and admits the creepy shit they've realized in my house. <laughs> I'd probably be able to get a, f- a full episode of people. <laughs> I don't think that I've ever like experienced anything weird. I've just heard sometimes weird. You know, pressure on the ceiling. Anyway, <laughs> although when I was here with, we were sitting over there. Oh, it's on the show. He has he has a he has oh, a name. Excuse me, I didn't know. When uh, his name is Tom Bongbadil. Tom Bongbadil. That's right. <laughs> when Tom Bongbadil, I was sitting with you, and Tom was right here. We were sitting and we were talking, and all of a sudden, we heard something. Right? It was right before the prequels. I don't remember. I was probably too stoned. Oh. <clears throat> you asked Tom to to stop talking. Oh, that's right. Then, I paused everything I, I made. I, I turned the music off. I, yes, we were doing Epic Duels stuff. And we had uh, Run the Jewels on really loud. And it was just the three of us nerding out. And at one point, you and I turned. We looked at each because other. Because we looked, we looked at each other, then we looked at the door. Because and like, it, it sounded like someone had taken like a solid step. Or uh, or a door, a door had moved or something somewhere. And I looked at you to kind of register that I wasn't alone in hearing that. 
And then I told Tom to turn the fucking music off. And I literally, I literally said, I sent it to, like, Obi-Wan. <laughs> <laughs> and then I asked you about the Wookiees on Kashyyyk. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Captain's House special. That'll be fun. The Wrangler pulls out of the driveway, and the convoy follows in order of arrival. Apollo, Bonnie and Clyde, Lilith and Eve, Blue Jay, and Ace keep a steady pace behind us as we come up to the first corner. Rob slowly and deliberately turns left, checking on the others in his rearview mirror. He looks back to the road as Ace's Porsche completes the first turn of the game. Shortly afterwards, Apollo checks in on the CB radio. This is Apollo for Ferryman. How many more to go, Rob? (laughs) (laughs) As many as it takes. I could tell Rob wanted uh, to reserve the radio for something other than Apollo's quips. But he seems to like Apollo enough to let it slide. I'm not sure Ace would have received the same treatment. We take the next right, then another left. Now, safely, assured that everyone's following correctly. Rob speaks my thoughts aloud. You're wondering the same thing Apollo is. (laughs) What do you mean? You're wondering how many turns we're going to take before we hit some wall or something. Before we find out, this is all just a story. Does that disappoint you? I'd be disappointed if you weren't thinking something like that. But now we're on the road. I gotta say something and you gotta listen to it. Okay. We're coming up to a tunnel soon. Any time before we reach it, you can get out, walk in any direction you like, and you won't be in the game no more. Once we go through, you gotta retrace the route we took to get yourself back out of that tunnel. That's when you're home. And you gotta convince someone to take you back in the car because I ain't ferrying you back 20 minutes in. You got till the tunnel to skip out on this, understand? I understand, though I have to say I'm getting a little nervous. Ain't nothing wrong with a little nervous. We've taken 23 turns by this point. Already I feel like we're traversing the city pretty effectively. Rob's heavily modified Wrangler solicits a few impressed glances from passerby, as well as several honks of respect from other Jeep drivers. Other than those few moments, everything seemed completely indistinguishable from a regular morning drive. I even start to worry if there'll be anything at all from this story. Reporter (laughs) takes drive with interesting man. Isn't exactly Pulitzer-worthy. I bet people are honking at this guy because they've seen this douchebag drive around fucking town doing the same goddamn thing. <laughs> there he goes again, just doing that same old thing. Hey, Rob! <laughs> Crazy fucking Rob. He has like a fucking truck horn. <laughs> Turn 33 leads us onto a short, unassuming street. A row of small businesses in a quiet Phoenician neighborhood. Liquor. Secondhand clothing, tools, and at the end of the street, a little shop selling antique mirrors. Ten or so people shuffle along the sidewalk, smiling, talking, planning their weekends, 
The only lone person is a young woman in a gray coat. I briefly glimpse her at the end of the street, standing on her next corner. The back of her coat reflected in 50 old mirrors. Even from a distance, I can see that she's sullen, wide-eyed, and nervous. She shifts constantly on her feet, tugging at the bottom of her coat. I look away to write some notes as we roll down the street, and when I look up again, the woman is standing by my window, staring right at me. She's smiling, a wide, unfaltering grin that seems almost offensive in its complete insincerity. Lambs at the gate, hoping for something better than clover, when all they find are things worse than slaughter. Rob, what's happening? Ignore her. He wanted to leave me, so I cut him out. The lake was hungry. It drank the wound clean. Miss, are you all right? The smile vanishes. It snaps from her face, and suddenly the woman is furious. What do you think you're doing? Have you gone mad? I reflexively press myself back in my chair as the woman, wild-eyed and gaunt, slams her fists against my window with every intent of breaking through. Would you dance down the lion's tongue? It will shut you, you whore. It will shut you down to your sins. You fucking bastard. Rob puts his foot down and the wrangler rolls defiantly away from the woman. As we turn the corner, I watch her as she wretches, her every movement cradled in abject hysteria. She yells despairingly at the rest of the convoy, bursting into tears when the last car passes her by. As she shrinks into the rearview mirror, I see her turn to a large mirror on the side of the shop, which the owner is in the process of polishing. I watch as she walks up to it, and with a convulsant scream, slams her head into the glass. The mirror cracks around her forehead. The owner jumps back in shock, and as the woman pulls her head from the mirror, the fractured spider's web is dripping red. It all happens in a split second, and she quickly swerves from my view as we take the next left. Rob, what was that? She's there sometimes. On that street? On the 34th turn. Who is she? I don't know. She's never acted out that much before, though. Must be a special trip. I find Rob's lack of concern a little unpleasant, and his implication that this woman's ravings were the symptom of an internet game leaves me more than a little perturbed. As I see it, there are a few explanations for what just happened. None of them lead to a comforting conclusion. If we had just encountered a bona fide crazy person, then one could argue that Rob is just seeing what he wants to see. Maybe he'd bought into the game's story so much that every strange but explainable occurrence would be rationalized as the next step in his favorite paranormal narrative. Alternatively, the woman could have been an actor, a more elaborate theory, sure, but not unheard of. People have lied to the show before, and Rob was receiving a, a ton of publicity for this, for this attempt from Lilith, Eve, and I. I admit, Rob didn't seem like a liar, but good liars never do. That's true. There is a third alternative, however. An alternative which, if you put logic aside, explains the all-troubling little details that I couldn't help but notice. Because as strange as the Grey Woman was, isn't it stranger that no one on the street would react? I couldn't recall a single glance in her direction by anybody on the sidewalk. Perhaps that theory falls apart when you consider the shock of the mirror seller's face, but when I think about it, he only reacted once the mirror shattered. Even then, I feel like his attention was on the mirror itself. 
the radio crackles. Lilith, the Bristol? Sarah, I, you've got that on the camera. Do you have audio? I think it, I think it picked her up. My god, that was so weird. Can, can you send us the file when we stop? Can you ask Ferryman when we're stopping? When's our stopping point? For them, in about 30 minutes. For you, well, you tell me. Rob turns off a busy street just before a large intersection onto a much quieter stretch of two-lane road. Ahead of us, the road slopes downward, leading into an underpass which disappears into darkness. We'd arrived at the tunnel. Sorry, what is this supposed to pass under? It ain't supposed to pass under anything, it's just there. And if we weren't playing the game? Then it won't show. The question is, are you playing the game or not? Rob turns to me. It's the first time he'd taken his eyes off the road since we started. He pulls the car to a slow stop at the mouth of the tunnel. You get out now, you can go wherever you want to go, but through there you'll need a car to get yourself home, and like I said, mine ain't turning round for a long while. You understand? It's a dramatic statement, but unsettlingly, it doesn't feel like he's attempting to dramatize. It feels like I'm having something genuinely asked of me. Am I ready for what's to come? Do I accept the risks involved? Do I consent to be taken down this road, and the next road, and the next? Am I prepared to see this game through, real or otherwise, to its end? What are you waiting for? Rob smiles and turns back to the road. He picks up the CB radio, holds down the button on the side. The microphone crackles. This is Ferryman to all cars. Anyone want to step out and then pull to the side now? Otherwise... Stay in formation and have some supplies at hand. We got a long ways to go. Much like the game I'm so tentatively playing, my view of Robert J. Guthard seems to change direction frequently. I'd heard all about his life, but I'm sure that I know him. I like the guy, but I'm not certain that I trust him. And though I admire his dedication to the left-right game, I'm not sure I'll like where it leads us. Yet, as he takes us into the tunnel, his face vanishing and reappearing under the dim sodium lights, I can tell that he expects this trip to be a major step in his already impressive story. And this time, for better or for worse, I'm along for the ride. I think that's the end of part one. Okay. Hi, everyone. I've got the day off work, and I wanted to start it by posting up the next log. I also want to thank you all for your responses so far. A few people have linked me to the sites that Rob J. Guthard may have operated on. Someone even offered to look for the mirror shop in Phoenix and try to retrace the route to Rob's neighborhood. I'm going to spend the day making a few international calls and sending emails out, but if you guys have any other ideas about how I could pursue this, I'd really appreciate them. In all honesty, I'm going to need all the help I can get. The whole ordeal has proven pretty categorically that I am no Alice Sharma. Speaking of which, I'm going to let her take it from here. Thanks again. Left Right Game, Draft 1, February 8th, 2017. The next turn comes immediately after the tunnel. 
We'd been in the dimly lit passage for almost two minutes, but at the pace Rob likes to travel, it's hard to figure out how far we've actually gone. When we descended into the underpass, we were just nearing the outskirts of Phoenix, scrutinizing the rearview mirror as we leave. It's fair to say we aren't that much further out. Everything else, the temperature, the time of day, the weather, all seems exactly like it had been before we ventured into the tunnel. I'm not sure what I was expecting, of course, but it certainly doesn't feel like we're anywhere new. The tunnel itself had been similarly underwhelming, especially considering the importance Rob seemed to place on it. In fact, the only thing of true interest since we passed through was something Rob said once we hit the halfway mark. As the tunnel's mouth loomed over us, Rob picked up the CB radio transceiver and issued a casual warning to the convoy. The message itself was straightforward. His choice of words, however, was... curious. I decided to ask him about it. Uh, Rob, just a second ago when you told us the next turn was coming up, why did you use the word trap? Hmm. I have it in my notes. You said, folks, we're coming to the end soon. First little trap's coming up. Our next turn is sharp left as we leave. Look out for it. Is there a reason you use the word trap? Just one of those things. Fellow who wrote all the original logs, he liked to think the road would try to trick you into making a wrong turn. Small roads off large highways, roads obscured from view, sharp turns like this one. He thought the road was trying to deceive him. Yeah, pretty much. I gotta say, I agree with the guy. By... (laughs) By this point... We've taken the offending corner, and the next right a little further on. I can't help but feel that Rob is reading a great deal into what is, essentially, an abrupt turn in an ordinary road. Okay, so the little byline roads are traps. They're not real roads. There's only one intended path of the left-right game. Okay. So I guess what I'm saying is my original argument was kind of correct. The game would never lead you okay. to a circle. Gotcha. It's kind of preordained, is how I'm thinking about it. What is it? What is a trap being identified as? Like a dirt road off of a main road. Okay. The level of conspiracy he's able to place behind such a simple thing, going as far as to ascribe some mischievous quality to the asphalt itself, it's hard to take seriously. In fact, I'm starting to wonder less about whether Rob can convince me this game is real, or more about whether I'd ever be able to convince him that it isn't. Perhaps this story will be less about where a magic roadway goes after a few zigzagging turns, and more about where the human mind can go if it invests too heavily in an idea. To his credit, Rob has noted my cynicism. He even seems to welcome it, but if our current surroundings are supposed to convince me, then he's going to have to find me more cynical than he anticipated. Rob keeps his hands on the wheel and his eyes on the road. Any attempt at an interview receives a pleasant but curt response. He's not being evasive, his attention is just elsewhere. Before I know it, half an hour has gone by without Rob speaking a word. It seems like a large part of the left-right game involves driving in complete silence. Once again, 
I'm not sure what I expected, but it's certainly not been an earth-shattering start. At least it gives me time to type up my notes. Ferryman to all cars, we stop here. An uneventful hour and a half has passed since we left the tunnel. I didn't notice Rob pick up the receiver, but before I know it, the Wrangler is pulled up at the side of the road, leaving a large space behind us for the rest of the convoy to park up. The buildings are getting few and far between now. It won't be long until we were in the desert proper. With this in mind, I assume Rob is simply stopping to let everyone drink up. I probably shouldn't assume when it comes to Rob Guthard. Though this is definitely a rest stop, Rob also has some important words for his crew. He gathers us round in a rough semicircle, talking while we eat our provisions. Now, I mentioned in the emails that at certain points on this trip you'd need to do some things just because I say so. This is one of those times, you understand? Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, we get to know what it is, right? <laughs> this is when he tells us to give him our money, right, Rob? <laughs> Yeah, I'd rather know what's going on. And I don't intend on keeping anything from you. I just want to be clear that across this next stretch, you need to follow my orders to the letter. Yeah, we get it. Just tell us already. Rob takes a few moments, perhaps, to lend gravity to his point. Perhaps to swallow some barbed words intended for the increasingly impatient ace. When he does speak... It's in a measured and serious tone. He's clearly adamant that we take his words on board. For about a half an hour, the next 13 turns will be going one by one. We travel in order of formation. Me and Bristol will go first. Then I'll radio the next car to follow. When you reach the Jeep, you park up behind me. Then... We keep going as normal. Now, Rob takes a deep breath in when he starts up again. His speech is even more pointed than before. There's a hitchhiker on the road, a well-dressed man with a case. You pick him up, you take him where he needs to go. You do not, under any circumstances, talk to the man. To be sure, to be safe, don't look at him. Don't take anything he offers you. Don't open the door for him or wave goodbye when he leaves. You do not acknowledge him in any way. You want my advice, don't say a word till you get to the stopping point. Oh, why do we have to go one by one? Guy who wrote all the logs says he didn't like choosing cars. I don't know what that means, but I'm lucky I never had to find out. Why don't we just... Sorry, why don't we just not pick him up? That isn't an option. Well, I mean, yes, it is. I don't see why we have... God damn it! <laughs> You'll pick him up, whether you want to or not. The group is silent. This is the first time Rob's raised his voice. In the ensuing stillness, Ace looks like he'd be more than happy to turn his car around and retrace the route back to Phoenix, leaving Rob in the dust with few choice words. I can sympathize with him a little. Rob's been treating him as an annoyance, a tag-along who didn't do the homework, but at the end of the day, Ace is doing nothing to fix things. Also, Rob is essentially right. He didn't do the homework. 
Well, okay, I suppose we get back on the road then if everyone's ready. Deciding he has nothing more to say to us, Rob marches over to the Wrangler. Bonnie, Clyde, Apollo, and Eve sit on the floor sharing snacks. Ace loses himself in his phone, and Blue Jay, still maintaining a noticeable distance from the group, takes her car with a copy of U.S. Weekly. Bristol, can we talk? I turn around to see Lilith holding her cell phone with a screen facing me. Yeah, sure, what's up? Have you tried to make any calls since we came through the tunnel? No, not yet. Why? Could you try? I pull out my own cell and dial into the office. The line's busy, which isn't exactly uncommon. Lilith watches intently, waiting for a reaction. I'm, I'm not getting through. They were busy? Yeah, why? Everyone is. We have signal. We can make calls. But everyone on the other end is busy. Don't you think that's just a coincidence? I really mean everyone, Bristol. While Eve's been driving, I've been calling my camera's automated support line, 911. You dialed 911? For science, yeah. All of them are busy. I even called this guy at my dorm who has a serious thing for me, and trust me, he is not fucking busy. This is weird, right? It's like we've crossed a threshold and the world's suddenly doing something else, you know? In all honesty, I'm not sure. I do know. I don't want to say it, but it still seems like a massive stretch. Luckily, Rob saves me from commenting when he calls me over to the car, clearly eager to get back on the road. I tell Lilith we'll look into her discovery on the other side, and she nods in agreement, retreating to her friend and immediately stealing a handful of apple slices. That's the last time we see her. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) I climb into the Wrangler and wave goodbye to the convoy. We slowly roll back onto the road and set off on our way. Watching the rest of the group disappear into the background, I feel noticeably more isolated despite Rob's presence. Or perhaps because of it. I'm not exactly sure. The hitchhiker shows up about ten turns later. Just like Rob said, the man is incredibly well-dressed. In a well-fitting brown suit with a dark green tie, even from a distance, I can see his shoes are expertly shined, as is the varnished wooden case resting on the floor beside him. He stands on the side of the road and raises his hand gingerly, wearing a look of hopeful anticipation. Who is he? The Hitchhiker. Is that really all you're going to say? It's all I can say. We understand the rules here. Don't talk to him. I'd say don't talk at all. Not until we stop. When we stop, we're safe. Rob veers slowly over to the side of the road. The hitchhiker smiles appreciatively, grasping his hands together and shaking them in thanks. Okay, <laughs> that creeped me out, That you just doing that all picking of a sudden. Up, picking up his case, he strolls over to the Wrangler, whilst unbuttoning his blazer. See you on the other side. The back door opens, and the hitchhiker pulls himself into the storage area. Finding no seating, he settles himself cheerfully on some of the softer luggage just beside me. Not much in the way of seating back here, huh? I have to admit, I do feel a subtle urge to respond. Even after the stern warnings I've received, to ignore the man seems almost instinctively rude. I was raised British, after all. So, 
Where are you all from? I'm traveling in from Oakwell. I glance at him in the rear view. He meets my gaze and smiles. I flick my attention back to the road, counting the white lines. The stranger persists in trying to start a conversation. Ten minutes go by. Do you ever try to not talk to someone for ten minutes? It's it's grueling. It is grueling work. Specifically when they're, like, talking at you, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's tough. The silence grows palpable. Hmm. Broken intermittently by yet another cheerful attempt at conversation. Topics include that what nice weather we're having, our professions, our hobbies. In response, I busy myself with pointless but occupying tasks. I find myself playing games in my head, thinking of common phrases and making them into clunky anagrams. It seems to work, and after a short while, I start to habituate to the man's small talk. I almost don't notice that he's there. Maybe that's what allows him to catch me out. You're just a fucking disappointment, aren't you? The statement comes out of the blue. It's sharp. Venomous. Completely divorced from the idle questioning I've been tuning out. I'm daydreaming when I hear it, and before I can register what I'm doing, I'm turning to face him. My lips are already parting as I go, a reflexive thought, reflexively vocalized, what? I almost say it out loud. The word is on the edge of my tongue, a single note. My vocal cords were all but ready to play, only the sudden, vice-like grip of Rob's hand on my forearm anchors me in the moment. I stare at the hitchhiker, my mouth still open. He's different now. All of the warmth, all of the pleasantry. It's drained from his face like running makeup. His smile is malevolent, calculating, and finally, it feels honest. You want to know things. I can tell you. Rob keeps his eyes focused on the road, but his grip on my arm tightens. I can tell you everything you want to know. Have you ever heard tell the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> I can tell you everything you want to know, even the things you never knew about yourself. Even the thoughts you didn't know you were thinking. Those little critters all the way at the back. We stare at each other a moment longer before I turn round and back to the road. I don't count the white lines anymore. Now I'm focused intently on anything our passenger has to say. For the next ten minutes, ignoring him is going to have my full attention. He only tries a few more times, reverting back to more innocent questioning. Nothing takes. Five minutes later, he indicates to a seemingly random point at the side of the road and Rob drops him off. The man thanks us, climbs neatly out, puts down his case, and waves as we depart. When we disappear around the next corner, he still hasn't stopped. Surprisingly, the silence caused by the hitchhiker's presence isn't nearly as intense as the one left in his wake. 
I decided to break the tension somewhat ungracefully. To be fair, we are having nice weather. Don't talk. Are, are you mad at me? I'm sorry he got to me. I wasn't expecting You did fine. We don't talk till we stop. I go back to my... <laughs> You're used to reading for the narrator. I got I'm it. I'm invested. You're invested. I go back to my notes, making a point to write down my current feelings. For the record, embarrassed but relieved. Once I put the words down on paper, however, I feel something else. Confusion mixed with concern. Because at the end of the day, what was I relieved about? That I didn't talk to a strange man who had tried to talk to me? Was anything really at stake? The more I think about it, the more I realize that the entire episode was this mysterious hitchhiker reduces the left-right game to two possible states. It's either real, or it's an elaborate hoax perpetuated by Rob J. Guthard. The crazy woman, the tunnel, the malicious left turn, all of those could be explained as rationalizations, but the hitchhiker was far too elaborate, far too difficult to predict. If he was an actor, then Rob is nothing more than an impressive fraud. If he was genuine, then I'm not entirely sure where that leaves us. Something in the corner of my eye pulls me from my thoughts. A transient peripheral object that almost completely passes by me before I turn in a weak attempt to catch it. I only get a few seconds to look before it's gone from my field of view. I face forward once more, sit back in my chair, and let Rob carry us ever further down the road. It's not too long before we finally pull over. You did good. I'm, I'm sorry for grabbing you. I just didn't want you to do something you regret. No, it's fine. I was... I was going to. Do you know what happens if you talk to him? I'm not sure. Came close myself once a few years back. The way he looks at you when he thinks he's got you. I, I don't think I want to know. Rob, I saw something a few minutes ago. I don't know if you've noticed it. Afraid I had my eyes forward most of the time. There was a there was a car on the side of the road. It had crashed off the bank. Have you seen that before? I never seen that. But random stuff sometimes shows up here and there. Have other people other than you run the left right game? No one I know of, however. It was they'd probably just rather crash than face that damn hitchhiker again. He's there on the way back, too? If you're unlucky. Well, something to look forward to. Rob picks up the CB radio and messages for Apollo to set off, repeating his warnings concerning the hitchhiker. I would hate to do the hitchhiker segment by myself, I could tell you that much. That mean, the, oh, by yourself? Apollo's by himself. Yeah, you're right. And actually, I thought Bonnie and Clyde were next. Regardless, I feel like everyone's going to get a similar speech before they embark. Ace will probably get it twice. Half an hour later, Apollo shows up. Though he laughs about his ordeal, he's clearly a little shaken. <laughs> this guy always fucking laughs. <laughs> guy should call himself an Uber. <laughs> you can't shut those guys up. <laughs> Do you guys have an Uber in England? Yes. Then you know what I mean, right? <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde arrive quicker than Apollo. They pull up at the back. Clyde helps Bonnie out of the car, and they proceed to stretch their legs. Okay. 
the only next ones are Lilith and Eve. I don't think we're seeing them. <laughs> you don't think we're seeing well, Lilith and Eve? Uh, yeah, just like well, the structure of the story. L- yeah, Lilith and Eve are next. Once Apollo joins them, it's clear that everyone has a different story to tell. The hitchhiker offered Clyde travel suites, pleasantly but firmly insisting he take one. Apollo almost got talking about his music tastes after the hitchhiker asked to play something on the radio. That particular story does leave me curious about whether we still get NPR on this road. Rob customarily greets Bonnie and Clyde, then walks off to signal Eve and Lilith. He's still sitting in the Jeep when I meet him at the door. Hey, what are you up to? Just waiting by the phone. The girls are on their way. You need anything? Um, maybe... I, uh, I think Apollo's been affected by the whole hitchhiker thing a bit more than he's letting on. He seems just fine to me. I'm not so sure. He's only smiling when people are nearby. Could you talk to him? Well, I ain't much comfort. I got four ex-wives to tell me that. think it might be better coming from you. I think this is a, a man-to-man conversation. I, I might just get a brave face. Rob doesn't look comfortable, but he acquiesces, climbing out of the car. Last man-to-man conversation I had, my son didn't talk to me for three months. I watch him wander over to Apollo, who is standing by his Range Rover, staring into his phone. Rob puts a calming hand on the man's shoulder, and from a distance, it's actually a sweet moment. I start to feel bad for lying to him. I carefully open the driver's side door and climb into the Wrangler, assuming I have around 20 seconds before Rob comes back. Picking up the CB radio, I stare at a list of presets labeled 1 through 9. I don't know which button I press to talk to even Lilith, and I certainly don't have time to call everyone up. Rob handed us all a transceiver before we left. It's what he's been making the all-car bulletins with. Preset 1 puts him in touch with a transceiver in each car. I've seen that in practice enough times. The rest of the presets must access the transceivers individually, and if Rob is the man I think he is, he gave out our radios based on order of position. If that's the case, then either Rob or I could be preset 2. Apollo would be next, then Bonnie and Clyde, without knowing where Rob has placed himself in the queue, the only option which would guarantee me getting through to Lilith and Eve would be preset 7. I think that makes sense. With no time to check my work, I press the button and snatch up the receiver. Wait a minute, why does she call them mid No, 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 we're gonna figure it out, but read. This is Bristol, to Lilith and Eve, are you guys there? The receiver crackles quietly. I look in the wing mirror and see Rob making awkward small talk with Apollo. Perhaps his four ex-wives were on to something. Lilith the Bristol, how is it on the other side? We haven't seen a hitchhiker. Oh, by the way, I just phoned Eve and it went through. Could I have your number to test? Sorry, Lilith, I'm phoning about something else. Why? What's going on over there? Apollo's nodding to Rob. I can imagine him making assurances that he's perfectly fine. I really don't have long at all. I have a mission for you, but you have to keep it secret. Sounds awesome. What's up? Once you're past the hitchhiker, there's a crashed car on the road on the passenger side. Whilst you're going past it, would you mind getting some footage? What sort of footage? Just zoom in and and get as much detail as possible. You don't need to stop. Just anything will be useful. Rob's starting to walk back to the car. I shift into the passenger seat, still holding the receiver. 
Is there anything specific you... Sorry, talk to me later, not now. Thank you. Bye. I slam the receiver into the holster a moment before Rob opens the door and he shrugs at me. He seems fine. Unless there's something he ain't telling me. The rest of the day is fairly uneventful. Lilith and Eve pull in, beaming about their experience with the hitchhiker and bragging about what the dash cam footage would mean for their channel. Lilith ends her story by insisting that nothing else happened for the rest of the journey whilst directing a highly intentional look in my direction. Okay. I look away and make a mental note to catch up with her when less people are around. I didn't think they'd come back. I thought the crash car... Yeah. Here's, here's where I get to look at you and say... How are we so sure that that's still Lilith and Eve? Stop getting your hand off me. I'm, now you're scaring me. <laughs> Get your hand off me. Blue Jay seems the least phased by her run-in with the hitchhiker. We do manage to get a few words out of her, though. Perhaps a few is an exaggeration. I'm tired. After which she goes to sit down on her own. When Ace pulls up to the side of the road, he almost falls out of his car. His legs are weak, his face gaunt, his breathing quick and shallow. I try to get him to talk about it on tape, but he shrugs me off, eager to hear about where we're going, rather than talk about where we've been. We travel for a while longer, now at around 486 turns and nearing our first night on the road. Rob signals our stopping point, a quiet clearing at the top of a hill. Rob clears a sleeping area in the back of the Wrangler, leaving a line of luggage as a barrier between us. I appreciate the thought, but don't really know how to tell him. In the end, I just say, Thanks for making room. Apollo attempts to keep everyone from going to bed, issuing vague statements about making a fire, but people quickly shuffle off to their cars. The early start and the subsequent events of the day have taken their toll. I watch Lilith and Eve break away from the group and head to bed. I suppose I'll have to talk to them tomorrow morning when Rob isn't around. I still feel a bit bad for lying to him and for pulling Lilith and Eve into what could be a blatant act of dumb paranoia. Rob seems like a good man, a reasonable man, as flawed as any of us, but fundamentally decent. But the fact remains that when I talked to him about the crashed car, he, he clearly said, No one I know of. Whoever it was, they'd probably just rather crash than face that damn hitchhiker again. I want to trust Rob. I want to believe him when he says he didn't see the car, that he'd never seen a car on that stretch of road, but for a man of so few words, he might have said too much. If he truly never saw the car, how did he know the direction it was facing? I make all my notes concerning this subject on paper and in shorthand, which I'm hoping. In Rob's long and varied life, he had inexplicably learned to read. Long after Rob's gone to bed, I stay in the passenger seat, typing up my thoughts on the day. That was Sister Moon by Leslie Estrada. Another song to calm you folks down as we head into the evening. It's Chuck Greenwald, and I'm with you till the witching hour. I decided to put on the radio in the end. I was curious, and I also wanted the company. I turned the volume way down so the noise wouldn't reach Rob and searched around for something to have in the background. There aren't many stations to choose from out here. The clearest one is Radio Jubilation, the local station for a nearby town. 
The current DJ, Chuck Greenwald, has been playing soulful folk music for an hour. And this is Three Dog. It's been a busy week in jubilation as we welcome in our new school principal, a very impressive guy who's bringing some new and interesting proposals to our community. It's got a few people talking about funding for the arts. If you got a view, we'd love to hear it. I finish typing up my less clandestine notes and then realize how tired I am. Wanting to sleep, but not yet prepared to move. The single yard between me and the air mattress, I lie back in my seat, listening to Mr. Greenwald address his beloved town. Well, we're going to go back to your requests very soon, and I can tell you, we've got some goodies on the way. For now, though, let's take ourselves to the new box. They're going to hurt now. Immediately, at the volume of a whisper, Radio Jubilation begins the broadcast a cacophony of bone-rending screams. The noise shreds the air, what sounds like hundreds of people each contributing their own voice to a collective symphony of pain and torment. I instinctively move my body away from the radio, suddenly upright and wide awake. The cries are ceaseless, agonizing, punctuated only by half-stifled, tear-choked pleas for whatever is happening to stop. A moment later it does, or at the very least the screaming cuts out as the soft tones of Chuck Greenwald take over. I look from the radio over to the sleeping figure of Rob J. Guthard. I can't help but stare at him as a single thought runs through my head. I hope this man's a fraud. I hope he's playing me. Because if he isn't, then there's something very wrong with this road. Hope you folks enjoyed that. We're going to be bringing you much, much more. This is Chuck Greenwald telling you you're always welcome in jubilation. Stay with us. It's a good place to stop. I think. I think so too. I think it's good. Because there's there's enough meat to talk about and there's also an, uh, enough for the next part to, yeah. to, to dive in. Oh yeah. I I I, re- <laughs> I really like it, <laughs> and, oh, I, and I and I think I think what what makes it great is just it knows how to put the viewer the reader in the same perspective of the narrator. It tells you be cynical, you know, don't believe the shit because it'll just mean your expectations are going to be upset as the story goes along. Mm-hmm. You're, you're expecting nothing and getting the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's masterful. I think that's, that's a really great way to present a simple, simple fucking situation. When you really sit and think about it, like, like you did, the idea, the basic idea of the left-right game doesn't make sense it doesn't work it's you're gonna hit a dead end and i like that the story acknowledges that it says no you know you gotta start the left right game at the right place at the right time because if you don't things are already going to be thrown off you know yeah you have to follow the path to a t and only you know it's it's almost like it implies that 
And I wanted to bring this up earlier, but I couldn't confirm it, and I didn't really want to talk about it until the end, because I wanted to keep your perspective clear. I'm assuming that the left-right game is something someone told to Rob, and I think it's something someone told to Rob a long time ago, and I don't think he's going to make it sound like it initially, but I think I think he's been looking all over the world for where to start the game. Huh. I think he's been trying to find the origin point or the um the road. Maybe there are multiple access points around the the earth. Maybe. I, I I'd like to think that it's um one place. I'd like to think that uh no, no no no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say that um it's so hard to, to describe it. I guess the best example I could use is the Dark Tower. Stephen King, he his series implies that every road leads to the tower. You know, every decision leads to the tower. I think if you play the left-right game somewhere, that it'll always lead you to the road. But I think the road is the same thing. I think, I think if someone were to play the game in fucking Japan, um, at some random but equivalent place to a big town but not too big. Um, that it might lead them to the tunnel. And the tunnel might lead them somewhere else. I could see what you mean, though, about Rob... I think of it more as like... Dedicating his whole life to finding out about this game, about where to start it. And I think the supporting evidence is the instability of his life. Yes. Ex-wives, kid estranged son, you know... Ruined relationships, different professions, all over the place. That around. could also just be really good writing. You know, um, the idea that this character has experienced so much but just doesn't want to talk about it that much. Like, it's a good mechanic. That means you, you have a wealth of things you could pull out of your back pocket and, and use as implied knowledge. I mean, that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, that's good context, is yes. what I'll say. The other thing I wanted to say was... And let me fuck with you for a little bit, like when I put my hand on your shoulder before. Oh, jeez. Um, I want to take money that the gray woman in the beginning is our is our British protagonist. Trying to warn a younger version of herself to not get on the fucking road. Okay, and here's where I, here's where I agree with you. Because if you're if now, if we're gonna get into some sort of like. I just like to use the vague term cosmic. Yeah. Well, there's something fishy about the time. Like, Yes. The time. There's something fishy about time. There's something fishy about how the road moves, so it's, phys- it's physical nature. There's something fishy about the, the basic experience, like... Um, only local receivers work. Any any outgoing calls, like even radio signals, don't seem to land in the right place. Like, uh, I'm I'm willing to argue that Chuck Greenwald is the DJ for some kind of hellscape in which a universe exists where um, sure. a, a guy went nuts and just started playing the shit, or perhaps something much darker. Maybe it's like a post-apocalyptic some yeah. shit. Maybe, Maybe it's three dog. Maybe it's three dog. Anyway, uh, yeah, the time thing is weird. Yeah, um, and I think the story's only going to get weirder. I don't want it to get too weird though, so that it's like, well, how does everything connect? 
where we're, we're like, not oh, just, oh, oh, where we're like overwhelmed. See, I have to step in and say, please, please don't hope for connect. I'm under the impression that this story is just going to fucking end at one point. Alice goes missing. Alice goes missing. I don't think you we're not going to have a proper conclusion. And I think that's almost enticing. She's going to say like, Hey, I'm still on the road and this shit is fucked. Anyway. Um, you know, check you later. <laughs> Here's well, my emails. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I'm not wanting like a, this would also make a fun movie. Uh, I was thinking the entire time. Oh yeah. Or a Channel Zero. This would be a good Channel Zero season. I guess I'm, be not, cheap looking, too. I'm not looking for like a conclusion. Like we we are we are dive all the all the information is divulged to us, but rather we establish the identity of what power is at work here. Interesting. Before she dies, or she's able to at least. You know, I don't get, think Alice dies. Sorry. So before the conclusion of the story, I'm hoping you know that she compiles enough evidence and she makes some claims and educated guesses on her own accord of what the power is that is at work here, and or maybe she just flat out admits she she cannot identify or, or even think of what it is, but maybe Rob provides her with some insight. Maybe it's mysterious maybe he knows more than he's um here yeah i think i think that's a that's a better line of thought because um you know you don't you don't travel with a group it's like a checkoff's gun kind of thing you don't travel with a group like this and assume they're all going to make it out on the other side specifically when something like this seems rather sure. harrowing and and sometimes dangerous. Um, so, you know, anything can happen. A bunch yeah. of stuff is up in the air. I I do think the only guarantee we have is that Alice is chasing something, and that's the only reason she's not back. And I think that that something she's chasing is something she absolutely has an answer for and wants to attain. I think... Um, I don't have any answers. I think I just like to think of it this way because it makes it easier for my brain to rationalize. In Scott Pilgrim, there is a subspace highway that Ramona Flowers implies using to get around so fast. Um, That's why she's so good at delivering mail. She gets paid per parcel. She makes a good amount of money. Um, she uses the subspace highway. I think the road kind of operates like a subspace highway, but like a cosmic one, like an earthly, an earthly and dimensionally existent highway that you tap into. And if you travel on that highway, things get altered like time and space. And I think, I think the only reason to ride the true road and to attain that destination like like yeah we're on it we're getting there but this isn't the point yet you know like the left right game is going to end eventually and where does it end and i'd like to think that it ends in infinity it ends in it ends in time and space not existing anymore it ends in 
you always existing and always searching. Okay. So that's how you're rationalizing it? I'd like to call it a subspace highway, yeah. I'd like to think that, you know, Thor's there, he's riding a cool motorcycle. I'd like to think that maybe even Death itself is there, you know, riding on his horse. I think, like, maybe Jesus is there and he's driving, like, a cool Cadillac, like maybe a 50s, like a red one, or a light blue one. Red is a little too Christine. I think light blue 50, uh, 55 Cadillac would be really like Jesus's speed. So let Jesus take the wheel. So here's why I'm going to disagree with you. <laughs> yeah. A subspace road, highway, freeway, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> I feel like would be very difficult to get onto. Which is why it takes the, the left-right game to lead you there. I think it is a, a niche pocket universe. So, hold on, hold on. I think it'd be very difficult thing to get onto, but once you're on it, like, a subspace freeway, you're, you've entered this dimension, this other realm, but I feel like once you're in it, you know, it, it's not like, it's not like super easy to get off the subspace highway. Uh, let me follow up by saying I don't think anyone who gets on it gets off. I think that's the end point. I think I think Alice is missing uh, because she completed the game. She she found out where it ends, and it is well. Okay, we'll see. Eternal. We're not there yet. Eternal. There's much more story to be told. So, if they're already at the destination, then the stories are like whatever. I still think I'm, finish I finish your thought. No, what I was gonna say, I was trying to contrast your idea of a subspace highway versus what this is in that this is very easy to get onto but very hard to stay on and easy to get off. I'd like to think that, you know, in Dante's Inferno, in the Divine Comedy, he has to get through the nine realms, the nine gates, um of the underworld in mm. order to, in order to save his beloved i think i think the left right game is your nine gates to the other side i think it's almost ritualistic you need you need to have what this road does in preparation for what is okay it's almost like testing your metal so the reason why I was trying to contrast it is because I was thinking like a subspace highway, as you were describing, is used because of its efficiency. But this doesn't seem like any I'm saying, efficient way. No, I'm saying a subspace highway that exists on another level purely for the sake of existing, existing forever. And I don't like using immortality or chalice chasing as an example because I don't think like... I don't think the story is going to hokily lead us to the, you know, the um, the Holy Grail. I don't think, you know, this is for a possessive object. I don't think, okay. I don't think um, the left sure. right game is gonna sure. is gonna lead you to something that you acquire for some kind of selfish power. I think. Well, you know what they say. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey there. Um, I think I think the left right game is literally all about the journey. I think it's gonna take you. It's like No Man's Sky. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> oh, there's nothing on the other side. Just try and try and enjoy what you got. In fact, they reach the end. It's back at the house. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. It's that and it's the, I it's bet the you, butterfly. Effect. I bet you the end. Not really, but the end is is Alice driving the Wrangler by herself, and she pulls up to Rob's house. <laughs> doesn't even realize it's Rob's house, and just looks up off the wheel, and like oh. She's breathing heavily. <sighs> oh, oh my I, god. Just for the record, I would love if this ended with like her ending up in like a different reality. I think like a Twilight Zone, like mm. um like she, or even if some or even if she gives up and tries to go back, like we didn't talk about that either. Like it's heavily implied that you won't get home. You know, in that sense that you won't. Um, that's why I like to think of subspace highway. I think all, I think all realities kind of collide on this on this road. But it, it can be implied that Rob has attempted this though many times. So how does he? How if it's hard to get back home? How does he always end up back home? Well, no, he's implied. He's implied that there is a way to get back home. I'm saying for someone fresh, like Alice. She'd probably fuck that up. She said, like, what, 486th left-hand turn? Yeah. No way, man. There's no way she'd be able to cold calculate her way back to the garage from there. I think Rob has it down to a T, almost. I think he... I think Rob is almost prepared for the part that usually stops him, and maybe that's why he needed to bring someone else this time. Yeah. I think he knows what's up ahead, and... And I think, like, what's going to happen to him probably isn't what he expects. Or what happens on the road maybe alters things. Yeah. And I think... And I think that's that's just interesting. And, and, I, yeah. and I... I don't know how much more you can talk about it without just wanting to read more of it. Okay, let's continue. You know? <laughs> we, we cannot. I, I, um... Hello again, guys. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm stopping. Uh. <laughs> no, but I, I appreciate that you're enthusiastic about it and that you enjoy it. Because I think, you know, I, I didn't get to talk about this either, but your last couple episodes have been a little, uh, a little rough. You can say that again, Captain. Guys, help me. <laughs> help me. He He's not giving me a choice, guys. <laughs> I have to force read this shit. I like that even since the Antarctica episode in like the 70s, I've been letting you choose like literally every time. Hey, that led to a great thing, though. The thing. That's true. It, it led me to that. I ne- I've never heard of that, watched it before, but because That's we- true. What about the... Uh, the fucking evil, evil Africa story. World War Z. All right. Uh, what about um? That one was bad. What about the Slenderman? The not Slenderman, Slenderman special. So that was I don't it I yeah that was bad. It, it's really sad. There's one really good story in there. It's just a shame it has literally nothing to do with Slenderman. It's sad because I don't really remember that one. I think it was '95. That whole thing. Yeah. I don't really remember. I take it. you haven't listened to it yet. No, because it's that forgetful. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, you know, we have good commentary, and I think, uh, I think there, like I said, there is one actually very good story in that episode. And now that I think about it, 
both the Slenderman episodes kind of have that in common. None, neither of them have been very compelling, but there is like a good read. Well, in there. except what episode sixteen? Yeah. Which, allowing me to toot my own horn, my story is the story we end episode sixteen with. But that's just because I think I have Slenderman down. I think I wrote a good story about Slenderman because I, I understand what makes Slenderman good. Whereas other people are like, and then he broke down the door with his tentacles and picked up the child. You know, it's just weird. Uh-huh. So um, uh, we're going to get you back here soon, Tenron, to read another part of this because I already want to continue. I just think it's I just think it's good material. And I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited to see what the future holds for the left-right game. I, I I don't know what I'm gonna name this episode either. It's it's gonna be some hokey. Um, I I guess I was on two different fields of of thought. I think one of them is like, at first, mention on the left-right game just by a title. I thought, oh, like, the direction your dick hangs when a tailor asks you left or right. My dick is so small, it doesn't even hang. It doesn't even hang. No, it's, you're fine. Just make the pants. It pokes and sits. All right. And then the other one I was going to think of was... Um, God. When someone says so left... When someone says left, right, I kind of thought about how you can hide something in your hands and like make someone choose what's in one of the hands and one of them has nothing and the other one has something. I think that, um, I think the story kind of has that, that kind of mentality. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think, is there any kind of closing thought? How do you feel about our voices? Do you think they're going to be able to be, uh, maintained for Uh, the next couple parts? I, I think most people will have trouble following which character is which with no text to read. Just by going off our voices, I think it might be tough. We're making them distinct enough. I think Yeah. I think the only ones confusing would, right now are a, probably a like listens though. I think even Lilith are probably two of the hardest to discern from the group because it's kind of just your and our like you and I like altering our tone a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Little bit. Specifically when they the couple sound. are talking to another I'm trying to sound sound hyper as Lilith. Lilith. You do. Lilith. Uh, and I'm trying Lilith. to sound like Aubrey Plaza when I read as Eve. Oh. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> as Alice I'm just trying to sound I don't know. British. Know. British but not too British. That was the that was the hitchhiker. British. He, he was too British. That guy was creepy. For Rob, I'd like to think I'm channeling a um, a rip Eastwood. a rip torn. I don't know who rip torn is. Oh yeah, you do. Who's rip torn? <laughs> God, hosting an intergalactic kegger down here. You could dodge a wrench. You could dodge a ball. Oh, that guy. Because, like, I, I don't know if I've ever talked about it on this show, but when I read the stories and voice... Men in Black? And voice, yeah, he's, a uh, he's Z, I think. Zed! Yeah, um, so, um, when I read stories and, and we have voices and we have characters, I always try to emulate, like, who I'd like to think if we were making a movie 
who would like play those <laughs> characters and mine right now kind of sits like Rob I would absolutely love to be like a uh, like a Rip Torn or uh, like a Brian Cranston you know Brian Cranston yeah oh, interesting I'd like to think Alice would be something of a um, Daisy Ridley a Daisy Ridley or a younger Kira Knightley I think Bonnie and Clyde would be very simple, you know, almost like extras out of, uh, or uh, not extras, secondaries out of like an M. Night Shyamalan flick, you know, like the type of people who always like act good in movies, but you know, you know, you never really like see it until later. I do think even Lilith would be like up and coming noticeable faces, like maybe, uh, I was going to say they were just in a movie together, Aubrey Plaza and Anna Kendrick. Oh, you kind of remind me of Anna Kendrick when you read his Lilith. Um, Great. Um, <laughs> who else is in the cast? Ace. Ace. Ace okay, and Apollo. So. Apollo maybe like a Michael B. Jordan just because he plays Creed's son in, in okay. the sequel. Ace for me would... Yeah, but how I envision Apollo is he's just this really like hyper laughing guy. Not hyper, oh. but like really hearty laughing guy. So maybe like a um what's the actor's name? Um I could see like a good like Jamie Foxx or a, like obviously Apollo's black. Yeah. Like they mentioned it. So like a young Jamie Foxx or a um What is that one TV show? Shoot. Will, Will Smith always used to laugh at his own jokes too in Fresh Prince. I don't think Will Smith would be good for Apollo. A young Will like a fresh Smith a fresh prince Will Smith. Maybe. Like a young one. But I think Apollo is like probably 40s. Oh, you think so? Yeah. I, I'm really terrible with names. Uh, Didn't think of a movie. Maybe I could help. What a terrible Anthony movie. Anderson. Yeah, Anthony Anderson. Blackish. Blackish, that's right. I That shows. Anthony good. Anderson from Blackish. Yeah, he'd be good at that type of role. Now, for Ace, would be Guy from Lost. Who played? Um, he's on the show. The Call- main character, or, no, or no. Sawyer. Sawyer. He's on on a show, Colony. It's called. Yes. Which is good. I've seen the couple seasons and. Josh so, Holloway. Josh Holloway. I think he'd be good as Ace. Sawyer would be a good Ace. I I tend to think of uh, older older women are probably harder to cast, specifically when we don't have enough information about Blue Jay, just yeah. yet. Um. But I, I have a feeling that Blue Jay would be like the type of role that an older an older woman who who like actually has like a lot of experience acting would play because she'd be the type of person you look at in the background who kind of like keeps to her business. They said she had like short grayish hair. I'd probably say like Jamie Curtis is heading there. Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. is heading in that kind of territory. She's older now. You know, I'm excited for the new Halloween flick coming yeah. out. I could definitely see that kind of... Jam- she seems leading role, though. You know? Well, this seem be- this is a small cast. I'd like to think that if if you could do a... Um, uh, all-star lineup? Almost like a Ocean's Eleven kind of... If, if all the stars aligned, I don't think it would be too hard to get this type of cast to- together. I don't think... I don't think it's too big... And I don't think it's anyway. We're we're getting off topic. I think I think we got a good cast. I hope we stick to the names. 
there are probably going to be a lot more characters that have one-off little roles, like the hitchhiker or uh, the, the DJ just then. The radio guy, the, yeah. the woman. Chuck Greenwald. I did like that voice. I did want to hop in as Chuck since you had the hitchhiker, but I'll just get the next one. Yes, sir. I think the next two. The next, the next weirdo that pops up. <laughs> I definitely want a weirdo. <laughs> oh no, I had the I had the gray woman. I had a weirdo. Uh, Captain Knuckles. Weirdo. <laughs> You're weird. <laughs> He's a weirdo, Flap. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Captain Knuckles. Oh man. I what love, you do to my baby? I love that show so much. Uh any any final thoughts? Ten on Ocean. Um Let's talk about two to the one, to the one to the three. I like good pussy and I like good trees. Smoke so much weed you wouldn't believe. And I get more ass than a toilet seat. Three to the one, to the one to the three. I met a bad bitch last night in the D. Let me tell you how I'm gonna leave with me. Conversation and